You can take your seats. So as we've worked our way through uh, Ezra and Nehemiah this year, we're up to uh, chapter 9 uh, in Nehemiah. And uh, uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's 38 verses. Um, it's a long chapter because it's a confession of sin, largely. And um, it, uh, the, the fact that it's 38 verses is a, is a good thing because there's a lot of sin to confess. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, that, that's a that's a good uh, thing that this passage does for us. Um, remember, they had just uh, read the law, uh, spent a lot of time doing that, and then they had a celebration of the Feast of Booths. And now, a couple of days later, they're gathering together uh, to kind of have a covenant renewal ceremony uh, with God. Um, and it's, it's interesting to, to read this um, as they confess their sins and then call on God to be gracious to them. Um, sometimes folks don't like to confess their sins. I've even had people uh, say they don't like our confessions of sin that we do in worship because um, they feel like it's too heavy, too dark, uh, too much. Um, and I, I've often responded to that as well. It might be for you, but do you think there was anybody in the room that uh, is that bad? <laughs> and they always say, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So. So well, I'm like, well, it was good for them then. Right. So um, and you could you could, you know, join in on hoping that they confessed how bad they were. So. So. the So the fact is. Um, confession. In the gospel economy, never ends with confession. Repentance never simply is a turning away from sin. It is that, but more than that, it is turning again to, uh, as we read in this text, the Lord... Uh, who is the only Lord, who is always inclined towards us with grace. And so um, in some traditions, uh, the old uh, Wesleyan Methodist tradition, uh, churches used to gather together at the beginning of every year and do a very similar uh, service where they would gather together, confess their sins, and end with a commitment of a renewal for the coming year. Not, not actually, not not a bad thing to do. So, uh, it's a good good passage for us to read uh, today. So Nehemiah nine verses one through thirty eight. Let me pray, and then I'll uh, read it for us. Uh, Lord, as we read this long confession, I pray that you would help us to pay attention, and not just to pay attention to see what's going on here, but actually to uh, allow the word of God. Uh, by your spirit uh, to probe and convict and comfort uh, and ultimately uh, to uh, renew. Lord, we need to be renewed. You know that. Uh, uh, And I think some of us know that we need to be renewed. We just aren't sure how or what that would look like. So I pray that you would do that work in us today by your spirit uh, because uh, your spirit is faithful to uh, Convict and comfort and draw our eyes away from ourselves to the truth of the gospel. You are for us. You just are. 
Uh, and it's not something that you do. It's something that you are. And so I pray that that would energize us today to turn to you uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so um, Nehemiah 9, verses 1 through 38, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. So, you know, you think masks are bad. Uh, <laughs> right. Have you ever worn sackcloth? Uh, yeah, me neither. Uh, I've thrown a lot of dirt on my heads, but I've never, uh, yeah, never, never worn sackcloth. So this is they're uncomfortable. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Muni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart to be faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, and you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you had performed among them. And they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive 
gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. And gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. And they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and people and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. And you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules. Which, if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, uh, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, and our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit 
and its good gifts. Behold, we're slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So after the service uh, or the, the day of the, the Feast of Booze, they have, or the week of the Feast of Booze, they have this service of renewal. And so as they gather together, they had the law read to them again. And as the law pro- probes their hearts, they're led uh, to pray this way. So, Rebecca, would you go ahead and, and put my put my notes up there? So uh, the thing that that uh, that we see. Um, they're back there, right? Oh, there they are. Yeah. Um, there we go. So. Uh, Renewal always begins with two things. And uh, I, I, I want you to understand that today, that uh, what we're going to arrive at as we look at this passage, this great catalog of all of their sins, but at the same time, the great catalog of the mercy of God is that grace grows its best fruit in the soil of winter that appears dead and cold and hard. Now, nobody likes that, right? Because the way we would prefer to live uh, is comfortable, uh, joyful, free of discomfort. But the fact is, for the person who is uh, who belongs uh, to Jesus Christ, who has the Spirit of God in them, the truth is we are never uh, more likely to have grace take hold in our lives than when we see ourselves as cold and hard and where it seems like life is hard to come by. Because you must pass through that cold, hard winter to get to the spring of renewal. And so what is the spring of renewal? Well, the the spring of renewal comes to us by recognizing two things. First of all, our unworthiness and sin, right? Uh, And this this text uh, um, gives us a great uh, a great picture of that. And not only not only our sin, not only do we recognize that, but also the circumstance and the consequence of that sin. Because as the people recognize here, even though they have returned to Jerusalem, even though they have returned to the land, they are essentially slaves. They are essentially vassals to the Persian Empire. And what they recognize is, behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we're slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. So the recognition is that the sin of the past, the sin of the present, has placed them in a situation where their circumstances are terrible. And in fact, uh, uh, their recognition is that they are in great distress. 
And so it is an honest appraisal, an honest look at, 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 at where we come from, how we have failed, how we have rebelled, how we've stiffened our necks. Uh, and, and, and one of the things that you, you read, you understand about this is, is that this is a great illustration for us of uh, the reality of original sin, right? That that uh, we're sinners, not because we, we do bad things, but we're sinners because that's the tree we come from. You know, we 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 are we are we stand in a great line of 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 people who sin, right? Uh, and and we you know we as though we we might look back with nostalgia and that sort of thing. The fact is the nostalgia of this situation simply resides in the fact that God is good and was good even as the people continued in their uh, uh, rebellion against Him. So it comes with renewal begins with a, a, a recognition of that, but it also is coupled with the recognition of God's great love and faithfulness, right? That's a profound thing for us because you cannot ever identify, you cannot ever say if you belong to Jesus Christ today that you've ever been forsaken. Even the difficulty that you may be experiencing, even the, uh, the, the, the challenges in your circumstances that you may be experiencing, God has not forsaken you. And then, in fact, I might even be able to say to you, I should say to you, because it is true that maybe you're in the circumstances you're in because of the mercy of God. We see that repeated over and over again, that the consequences to the people's rebellion and sin actually was a mercy. And it was a mercy in the sense, not that it punished them, but that it was God's warning to them. Hey, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And it would happen. And then what would they do? They would repent. And so the negative circumstances, the, the oppressions, the, the other things that came their way were God's way of saying to them, hey, I told you this would happen. Repent. Change. Reorient yourselves, right? And so even in the difficult circumstances, God is being faithful to love his people, to care for them. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's true that, that, that the people that God loves, he brings discipline into their lives, right? So the prayer has seven sections. Uh, um, at the, you know, the nine o'clock service, you, you know, everything's compact. So I have to prepare a sermon that has to be done. Uh, we have to be singing the doxology at five till uh, ten, and so uh, we don't have time to go through all seven sections. Um, but there's seven sections to this prayer, just like your prayers. You know, you you have you have you have seven sections or more in your prayers, right? Isn't that funny? Uh, yeah. Next slide. Uh, so uh, what, what we're, what we're going to see as we, as we look at this is, though, that a consistent record of faithlessness and failure should not lead to despair, but to confession, repentance, and ultimately renewal. That's the, that's the, the truth of this text, right? And that's the truth of our life today. That's the truth of the circumstance that we find ourselves in, right? And so this rehearsal of all the things that has happened, this, this rehearsal of all these things, that is the point that Ezra wants the people uh, to conclude. 
as they turn in renewal. Because the fact of the matter is, if a record of a consistent record of faithlessness and failure, uh, if that was it, if that was the end of the story, uh, literally, we'd be dead. But we're not because of the faithfulness of our God, right? So let's look at why that's why this can ultimately lead to renewal. Well, first of all, they said at the beginning, you are Lord, you, uh, you alone. That language that's used there, the word there that's used for Lord refers to the, the covenant making, covenant keeping faithful God. And I want you to understand something today that is so important that as, as much as, as we understand the gospel and as much as we understand the work that Jesus Christ did by living our life, dying our death, rising again for us, those things are true. The thing that, that centers us in that is that this God who acted on our behalf will never break his commitment to us. Ever. Ever. When the scriptures tell us that he is steadfast, nothing could be further from the truth. And I mean, nothing could be uh, that he's steadfast. If you think he's not steadfast, nothing could be further from the truth. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not that God acts in a steadfast way. He does. But it's a part of his being. It's like saying Steve is short. Right. It's, it's just who he is. Right. And so we count on this God who makes this covenant, who through thick or thin, through our own uh, uh, failures and sins, he remains faithful all the time because he is faithful. He doesn't remain faithful because he hopes we'll get a clue. He doesn't remain faithful because he hopes we'll turn it around. He doesn't remain faithful because he hopes that, you know, for the thousandth time, we'll get our act together. No, he remains faithful because he is faithful. A way to think about this is in many ways, and and the scriptures describe our relationship with God this way, is that God is in a terrible marriage with us. And that that as 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 his bride, as we are the people who belong to him, all we have to do is to say to him, we have broken the covenant. But we're yours and you are ours. Your steadfastness and your faithfulness to us, your care, your love, your application of the truth and grace to us is our only hope. Don't leave us. Don't forsake us. Well, he never will. He never will. Right. But not only is he the Lord alone, he's also our creator. When we look at the world around us, we recognize the fact that that we are here because he made us. But not only did he make us, as these people had read, you know, they had gone back and read the first five books of the Bible. Not only did he make us, but he's also entered into a covenant relationship with us. He chose Abram, later to be called Abraham, the father of the many, right? But the fact, fact of the matter is, what the New Testament says is, you're Abraham's offspring. This God made a covenant with Abraham, but he's made a covenant with you when you became one of his. And just as he remained faithful to these people through their ups and downs, their, their faithless wanderings and rebellions, he will remain faithful to his church today. He will never forsake it. 
Even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of a a time of strife, he has not forsaken his people. In fact, in fact, he is as faithful today as he ever has been. You believe that? Next slide. Uh, not only has he has he proven himself faithful over and over and over again, uh, but he's delivered us from bondage. He's delivered us from our sin, and he's even delivered us, even as we might struggle with the the temporary consequences of our sin, even in the midst of that, he has delivered us from the ultimate bondage of our sin. As we've already prayed today, that that death has reigned over us. Death is the ultimate consequence of sin. And God has removed the sting of death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. And because he has tied himself to us, because we belong to him and he belongs to us, we have the full assurance, the full assurance that we are more than conquerors, of these things that would seek to separate us from our loving God, right? He's given us the law. He's given us his revelation. So we don't wander around in the dark, not understanding who he is or what it is that, that he desires for us in terms of the way we live our lives. And, and he's not left us clueless in the way in which he has delivered us. He's provided. He even provided for these people who rejected him in the wilderness, Manna and water. He continues to do that even today. And we read this, all of, all of this is because you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you do not forsake us. You need to see how profound that is. That he is a God ready to forgive. And let me explain why I mean that's so profound. We've already prayed today, right? We've already looked in our, our discussion about uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? That we pray to our Heavenly Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us poor sinners that we are. Any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined... As evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Now, isn't that an awesome thing? I am fully determined to forgive you. Fully determined. That's not a license to sin against me. But I am fully, fully. Is that true? No, it's not. Unless the work of the, the gospels at work in me, I'm not oriented towards forgiveness. I'm oriented towards revenge. I am oriented towards vengeance. I am oriented towards making you pay, right? But God's not like that. His orientation is to forgive. It's not that he forgives. That's remarkable. It's profound. But he exists in a state towards us of forgiveness. That's his heart. That's his posture. He has turned towards us in forgiveness all the time. Right. And so that 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 that's who he is. It's not what he does. It's who he is. And that's a profound thing. And that's why they can do this crazy, bold thing that they're doing, because what they're saying to him is, look, 
we know we sinned. And look, we know right now we're in the consequences of our sin. And we know that you told us that we would have the consequences of our sin. Not only forgive us, but remove the consequences that you said that were going to come. Right? I mean, doesn't that seem a little, a little, um, presumptuous? Right? Children, I, I used to think, I used to think that, um, you know, this was, this, I, I never could understand this. I used to think it was a bad thing to pray to God, God, I know I sinned and deliver me from the consequences of my sin. Because it seems righteous, right? To kind of like, I'm going to bear the consequences of this. Bring it. You know, in that way, which is so self-righteous, right? I never understood this until I had older children. And I remember having a conversation with one of them one day, like, don't drive your car over here because if you do, you're going to get a flat tire. I am going to drive my car where I want to because you are always so cautious. You're such an old man. I'm going to do it anyway. So you get the phone call. Hey, I'm stranded over here in a parking lot with strange men standing around uh, thinking they're going to help me. Would you come help me fix the flat tire? So I thought to myself, is this a teaching moment? So I'm like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to say, I told you so. So God, would you make my face say that? (laughs) So that I don't actually have to say it, so I can just be there kind of like, in whatever way that would be, as I deliver them from the consequences of disobeying me. God's not like that. Praise God, he's not like that. The fact is, the grace of God is so big, so boundless, so scandalous. That even in the midst of the consequence of your sin. He expects us to turn to him and say, because you are the way you are. Because you are who you are. And because you have demonstrated that in the shed blood of your own son, Jesus Christ, for us. Deliver me from the just consequence of this sin. Would you do that? Please do that. <clears throat> Take Look at me, Lord. See, I am suffering not because I'm righteous. I am suffering because I am unrighteous. Would you take it away? That's how wide and high and big the grace of God is for his people. And so if you're in a mess today, and who isn't? If, if you're a wreck today... If you're lost today, if you're stumbling around in the darkness, if you're if you're walking around thinking, man, my heart is hard and this place is such a difficult place to live. And and did I do something to cause this? Did we do something to cause the trouble that we're in? Yes, of course you did. Generations before you did it. We're in it. We got all of us have stink on us. All of our saints have stink on them and they've had it. For generations, we all got it. We're in it. But there's a God who has turned towards us always in mercy, grace, and power. Turn to him.
Be renewed. Grace grows in winter. And how do I know that? Well, the promise of God is so big that he says to us that all things must work together for our good. Now, I know. I've heard it from people before. Don't quote that verse to me. I don't want to hear it. Well, (laughs) that's all I got. Because that's all God's got. All of this, in the end, even the suffering and the pain and the difficulty and the challenge that we experience, we cling to the reality that because our God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, because he is steadfast, eternally steadfast, because he is turned towards us always in forgiveness and mercy and grace, that even the hard things, the not only the hard things, but the things I just don't understand, that I may never understand, Work together in his mysterious way to bring about good, growth, change, eternal life, and reflect his glory. That's what I cling to, not my shreds of my self-righteousness or my wits or my abilities or any of those things. Would you be renewed? Would you experience newness of life even in the midst as these people were experiencing their slavery to their oppressors? Could God renew us in the midst of a bleak, hard time? Well, if he can't, We're in trouble. But not only do I believe today that he can, I believe he is. I was talking with somebody earlier this week who said, you know, I've never felt like the church was more impotent and useless and uh, in a worse shape than it is now. Well, The best is yet to come. (laughs) Right? Not because I think we're going to figure this thing out. No. But because the pattern that God gives his people in bleak times is confess your sins. Embrace his steadfast grace for you. And turn towards him asking him to renew you. That's what we have. Let's do that. Lord, we come to you today uh, and we, um, we confess. We don't even know how to begin to confess all of our brokenness, our sin, our rebellion. We are, we're worse than clueless. We are rebels. As uh, this text describes us as stiff-necked, uh, turning a shoulder against you, putting, putting your law behind us. Acting as if we are free agents in the world. I pray that you would um, bring uh, our, that to our attention. But I pray too, Lord, uh, for especially for the sensitive ones among us, that you wouldn't leave us there. 
but that you would remind us not just of the way you have acted on our behalf, but who you are. You alone are the Lord, the covenant-making, the covenant-keeping, the steadfast one. Lord, where would we be without your steadfast love? Where would we be without the hope and the promise that we have that you empty out the tomb? Where would we be without the hope that you uh, bring life to death? Where would we be without the hope that you bear with us time and time again? And that your desire for your people is to be renewed and changed and reshaped and re-energized and, and uh, uh, refocused. Would you do that? Lord, we confess uh, our hopelessness often, uh, our hope in the wrong things, our anger and our bitterness, uh, even, Lord, at times directed at you, certainly at one another. Pray that you would forgive us of that. But over all of this, Lord, that we would be clearer and what it means to be the people, the covenant people of a steadfast, loving, merciful, forgiving God. Would you do that? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's confess our sins together by using this confession of sin uh, that's in uh, the bulletin up also up on uh, the screens behind me. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.